0: Welcome to season five of And the Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I give my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And the Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the music modernization act gotten songwriters added to album of the year for the Grammys and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you. And congrats. Now, as you know, I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So, this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, AKA that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.com and the writer is .com Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. Built for musicians by musicians, you can use Bandzoogle's tools to easily design a website an EPK, sell your music merch directly to your fans and it's commission free. Bandzoogle also recently added a crowdfunding feature which lets you crowdfund your next project commission free. So think about it, your fans want to help fund your album. You don't need a record deal anymore. You can just use Bandzoogle. So go to bandzoogle.com, try it free for 30 days. Be sure to use the promo code ATWI and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's ATWI at bandzoogle.com for 15% off of any subscription. Songwriters think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song that goes viral. Enter the 20th Annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with El King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Send in your best songs now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is... I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's Emmy, Grammy, and Tony-winning singer-actor-musician is only an O away from the EGOT. After starring in Pitch Perfect 1 and 2, this human put his stamp on one of the most contemporary protagonists Broadway has seen in years. This performer displayed his legendary vocal chops on the Grammys and has since released his own collection of records. His honesty in his vocal performance performances is only rivaled by his honesty in his lyrics. This Los Angelino is not just a rising star, but is an advocate for those less fortunate. And the writer is the OG, Evan Hansen, Ben Platt.
1: Hello. That's the best intro I've ever had. Really? Yeah, anywhere. That can't be true. It's 100% true. It was full of verve and enthusiasm and I loved every moment of it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you know what? Um we're going to be friends. Yeah, I think so. So, okay. So this <laughs> is like this is kind of um this is a unique podcast for us because um you you're a writer, which but you're a performer in so many senses of the word that I I want to kind of discuss all of your journey. Sure. And um, let's start from from the beginning. So you're you're from Los Angeles.
1: I am. I'm from here. I'm from like 20 minutes away from you, like in Westwood. Okay. Um, okay. Grew up around the corner from my Jewish day school, which was also my synagogue, where we would walk to school and to bar mitzvahs and weddings and holidays and what have you.
0: So were you raised orthodox?
1: No, just conservative, like relatively observant. Like we did the big ones, like Yom Kippur's and Hanukkah's and Passover's and bar mitzvahs, but not like Mm. going every week or anything. And I was allowed to wear like shorts. Right, right. Um, Um, But yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I'm one of five. So I'm the fourth. I have three older, one younger, and then a bunch of them are now married, and I've got a bunch of nephews as well. But everybody sings. We grew up... Always singing together, and my parents are both lovers of musical theater, and they met doing musical theater in college, and my dad's in the business as well and so the the singing's always been part of the part of the game
0: so I mean obviously you know it, it's easy to wikipedia your your past, but <laughs> um, so people have some idea you started singing professionally really young, but do you remember the first time you were Singer, like, do you remember singing when you were four years old? Do you remember that?
1: I have video of when I first started singing when I was like five uh, in like a kids' theater program, which is where my first like theoretical performances were. What was the song? Ten minutes ago from Cinderella, because I was the prince in Cinderella.
0: Okay, Little Roger
1: and Hammerstein to start, Um, and I remember loving it, but I don't remember really the act of singing until I was about. Eight or nine years old, and I went out for my first professional gig, which was the Hollywood Bowl does these summer musicals, and that was the first time they were going to try to do that, and they were doing *Music Man*, and so I went in and auditioned for Winthrop, and I remember going into the room and like I'd, I'd never had that experience of singing like for a table of adults, um, right. like in the hopes of being given a paying job. <laughs> so did you get the different. Lisp down
0: and everything
1: for I, it? I went to a coach and I got work with the Lisp. And what, was, what
0: song did you audition with?
1: Gary, Indiana, of course. His one his one tune that he gets in the whole show.
0: Um, did you have any nerves with the idea of going from, yeah, I'm going to go and stand in front of adults to I'm going to stand in front of... Uh, you know, fifteen thousand
1: people. I've always found it way more intimidating to sing in a in a room full of like intimate people, like with like ten people in it, than I do like sort of a faceless crowd of many. I, for some reason, I always have felt the most comfortable and least anxious when I'm singing for large groups of people.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, we've we've got a few segments in this show, and one of them is, um, uh, what would Alex Lackamore ask? Ben Platt. <laughs> and, he probably
1: already asked me, but yeah, exactly. Well, so
0: Alex <laughs> Lacamoire, who uh, we'll get to later as yes. the uh, music director virtuoso, um, he worked on Dear Evan and whatnot. He actually asked, um, "What are the similarities and differences from performing on Broadway versus a concert series, and how do they influence each other?" And that's kind of like sort of what you're saying. I mean. Why do you feel more comfortable in front of nobody in front of than in front of tens of thousands of people?
1: Well, I think the the performing on Broadway and performing in my own concerts are a lot more similar as far as the number of people that are actually watching. I my tour that I just did was mainly like uh, like proper theaters, like the Dolby and the Chicago Theater, and places that felt like houses. I've I've done musicals in, so the main difference was more sort of performatively the the main goal being how do i share like my authentic self and how do i perform how i prefer to perform and sing and like move and administer an evening rather than how do i transform myself into someone else and forward someone else's plot and like get the job done that the writers of the piece want done so it's like a lot more of a boundaryless thing I think touring with your own stuff which I've really enjoyed but it's also there's a lot less of a safety net and there's no sort of filter between you and everyone else because you're not purporting to be any other interesting vehicle
0: does it change your perspective when you're performing in front of a camera like it's live television does that change how you perform in your head or is it sort of well I'm performing in front of the people here and just one
1: of the people is a cameraman with a camera (laughs) A little. I mean I think by virtue of the fact that I'm an actor, I always, you know, am conscious of the way things are coming across and the way that things are gonna be portrayed and how smaller, you know, inferences and smaller performative things can read a lot bigger on camera than they can on stage. But I think at the end of the day, it's sort of singing the song wherever the song's being sung. I don't know that I necessarily like consider it a different muscle when there's a camera, but I also I, I do think I maybe make it a note to not Feel the need to project so far out, like as far as the storytelling, because it's you know you're only telling it to someone that's right here.
0: When did you learn that? I mean, when you're nine and you're performing at the Hollywood Bowl, you couldn't go big enough, (laughs) you know. I'm sure, especially that character. Well, yeah, well, musical theater
1: in general, like particularly like classics and like golden ones, it's like it's all very broad and big and funny and.
0: I mean, going from that, how did you how do you go from the bigness of that kind of performance to being a nine year old outside of um, performing? I mean, how did you have a normal? Did were you the coolest kid in school at that no, point? No, no,
1: by no means. I mean, no one really had the. I, I went. I was at a Jewish day school, like I said. I wasn't at my high school yet, which was Harvard Westlake, which is right around here oh, and yeah, has nice. a great arts program. So when we were there doing. Doing work and performing and stuff, it was the really cool thing to do because there's a great arts program and I meet all of my friends via that program. But when I was a kid doing these like Hollywood Bowl gigs, it was more just like a double life, kind of a Han Montana situation of like going and being a very normal kid and taking like rabbinics and like Hebrew. And then in the summer, like doing this big thing that maybe some of my friends' parents came to, but like they didn't really know about or care about. Do you still speak Hebrew? (laughs) Kzat. Kacha Kacha.
0: Do you go? Have you been to Israel? I'm sure you have.
1: I've been three times, but I haven't been in a decade. Last time I went was uh, 2009, so I really need to get my ass back over there.
0: Are you a religious
1: person? Not like theologically, I would say. I think I really love the culture of Judaism and like the familial warmth and the importance of like sharing your feelings and being together and spending time together and knowing your extended family and like trying to be better people together. I don't really have much of a like quote unquote relationship with God, if you will, but I do like that part of it.
0: Why do you think there are so many Jews in entertainment?
1: That's a hard one. I mean, I think that's a lot of it's circumstantial, but also, I don't know, maybe maybe something to the effect of what I was saying as far as people can. We have a, a real ability to. Spew all of our feelings, and we don't keep anything bottled up. And we oh, interesting. We tend to really so it's like say an emo-
0: it's an emotional thing, and yeah, that's the cult- <laughs> the cultural part of it. Exactly. There's sure. like
1: a there's a a predisposition to share everything and not keep everything bottled up, which is probably good for the arts in general.
0: What kind of music did you like that wasn't musical theater growing up?
1: I really loved stuff that my mom loved, which was like Joni Mitchell, Carole King, James Taylor. Uh, that sort of like confessional singer-songwriter very personal sounding stuff and then when I was 12 I was in this show called Carolina Change uh, which is a musical that's a lot more of an R&B kind of funk feel to it and I was like one of the only white people in the whole cast and so I was exposed to kind of a whole different style of singing and all of my castmates were warming up to like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and Donny Hathaway and so that kind of stuff really opened up a whole new world for me and I started listening to a lot of that as well so it was sort of a middle road of those two that I kind of ho- always imagined my own music would would fit in with kind of a sprinkling of the theater always.
0: When was the first time you recorded your own music?
1: For this album. Um, really? Yeah. I I grew up rewriting songs for, with my family for like people's bar mitzvahs and weddings and stuff. <laughs> and like <laughs> making really up funny, like yeah. comedy songs with my yeah, friends in high school sure. and like things like that. And And so I was always fascinated by like scan and rhyme and you know what makes the song work structurally and things like that, but I would witnessed a lot of songs being written as far as I mean, new musical theater being created, particularly obviously watching Benj and Justin make Evan Hansen. But I had never sat down and earnestly tried to write from my own perspective until there was the impetus of this record.
0: Yeah, I mean, in this next segment that we'll call, um, What Would Steven Levinson Ask Ben Platt, <laughs> the writer from the writer of the book of Dear Evan Hansen, Steven asks. Uh, I have a super nerdy question about process. As an actor in theater or in a film, you're used to telling one story, and you get this this one script, and you can study it and immerse yourself in it, and it can obviously change, but you have the basic blueprint from the beginning. Versus on TV, week after week, you're getting brand new stories, brand new scripts, written by brand new writers, directed by brand new directors. Do you find that it's the same process for you as an actor or do the constraints of TV change the way you approach a role?
1: Interesting. Um, I mean, I think my only real TV experience at this point is The Politician, which is the Netflix show that I just made with Ryan yeah. Murphy. Congrats. Um, thank you very much. And then we did eight episodes of it and it was sort of a... Uh, unorthodox situation, because the entirety of the season was written by only the three creators by Ryan, Murphy, Ian Brennan, and Brad Falchuk. So before we even began shooting, I had read four of the scripts. And by the time I'd read all of them, we still were like three episodes away from the end. So I always had the idea of what the whole thing looked like. I mean, obviously certain things I had to wait to find out. So I was able to approach it generally like i do a piece of theater which was my comfort zone in the sense that i could learn it as a whole and as a piece and as a play and then go in and do the individual parts of it but definitely the the challenge and the difference is you get the luxury when you do a play of like living the whole thing chron- chronologically and letting yourself emotionally kind of go on the journey and just kind of submit to it whereas when you're doing a piece of television every day you're dropping into like a completely random spot within the puzzle and you have to really internalize like where did i just come from where am i about to go and like, what changes have happened? Which ones have not? And that's always a challenge for me.
0: How does that affect the way you perform music that you don't write even for yourself? You know, or when somebody approaches you with like, a, like you were saying, you you were you were used to growing up and changing lyrics of existing songs, mm-hmm. you know, and making them funny or making them whatever. Mm. How do you internalize? You know, if somebody says, "Hey, I got this chorus." you know and you go into a, a co-write which yes. now is a big part of your career huge so how do you find yourself is that is that the goal when you write a song is to personalize it or are you okay performing songs where the perspective might not even be you but it still would be you know how do i don't know how do you reconcile
1: i think because this is sort of the first permutation of of music of my own that i've ever had i'm i'm very Verse to any songs that feel like they don't come directly from me or that they wouldn't come directly from me. I'm very much open to people bringing in ideas or, or hooks or choruses or things that are pre-existing but I think if there isn't a way to find myself in it even if it feels big and strong and like a great song I don't know that I would ever be able to sing at least at this stage but what's been nice up to this point is that we've had really fec- like spectacular writers come in and have pieces of something uh, that is very particular to them and then we've been able to Sort of get to the heart of it and make it something that feels very much for my own life. And I I would hope that songs that are strong enough could really be angled to anyone.
0: Yeah, totally. But that takes a certain artist. Sure. You know, I mean, that's that's why you, you, you know, I always tell people, like, even in the very beginning of every episode, that there's, you know, Thousands or millions of singers, thousands of artists, and forty songs at a time. And (laughs) the reason why there's such a vast difference between, you know, the the amount of singers versus artists is just the ability to interpret someone else's material to making it sound like yours. Certainly, you know.
1: That yeah, I mean, I think that was the priority up up, in coming out of the Evan Hansen experience into this was to really try to create a lane that felt very much my own. I think there was a lot of scenarios of. I could make an album of standards or I could do a musical theater covers album or I could sing, you know, all of Benjamin Justin's leftover songs that they haven't used, but I really <laughs> want, I really wanted it to feel like my own sound, my own perspective and my own experiences.
0: Yeah, Alex had also asked um, he said from a writing perspective does being around Pascal and Paul influence how you you know, wrote for yourself?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think it's a very different skill to write for a piece of theater because it's so much of what the parameters that you're in are about character development and point A and point B. And the character needs to go into the song in one way and, and come out a different way. And it needs to fit within this, you know, the scan of this piece. And it's a lot, there's a lot more sort of defined boundaries, but certainly just on the very bottom level of watching two great songwriters write songs, it was a really great learning experience to watch them work for sure.
0: In this next segment called What Would Pete Gambarg Ask oh my God. Ben
1: Platt? He got to everyone.
0: I actually did, and and surprisingly, people responded very quickly. Usually, people are really slow, but also, yeah, I think, they better have. You know, it's, 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 yeah, exactly. I'll tell you who didn't. No, I won't. but um, my mom, um,
1: my mom never responded. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. I was like, "Listen, lady, I don't know you, but this random number <laughs> Hang out with your son in a little bit." Um, so anyway, he he has two questions that have have to do with this. One is, for, first thing he said is, "How did you get so goddamn talented?" Oh, Pete. Okay, and then the other thing he said, <laughs> and this is actually in this, is is like, what is your ideal song to sing?
1: That's a tough question. I mean, I think there's a lot of different manifestations of what that would mean. I guess the only underlying criteria is that it has to feel like it's specific to me, and that it sounds like me, and that I, when you hear it, you know it's mine, and that I'm singing it, and it can't be sung by a number of other people just because I think otherwise what's the point in sort of adding your voice to the chorus I, I could write songs that I love and they don't feel like they're right for me and it would be great to have someone else sing them but I think f- for me the ideal song would be something where you hear it and you're like oh that's a, that's a Ben so.
0: what, um, this isn't his question but a song that it, that has existed in the universe I don't care if it's Whitney or Elvis uh. or whatever but what kind of song do you think existed where you're like man if I were around then that would have been perfect for
1: me. Probably make you feel my love, that Dylan song. Really? Yeah, I just think it's like so simple and beautiful, and lyrically beautiful, and vocally, it gives a lot of room to be who you are, and it's just, it's just an irrefutably gorgeous song. So I think that if I had heard that, I'd have been like, "Is there any way in the world I could sing that?" Do you find yourself competitive? Oh yeah, of course. With whom? <laughs> Mostly other actors just because that's the world that I grew up in, and that's the 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 lane in which you're compared to each other more like in in music it's a little bit more apples and oranges. I mean there are certainly you know there's like Sam Smith who's wonderful and like Sean, and like there's people that are like adjacent to me and i'm but I'm so new to this kind of uh, sphere that I don't have any room to feel any of that yet i am more so just happy that there like there's sure, been a totally. burrowed area for me, but I think it's hard as an actor not to feel. Competition when there's like people that are your contemporaries that are, because it's such a small, it ends up being such a small community, probably even smaller than music. And people are generally picking from the same pool of guys and
0: getting your head about it. That cannot be true. Like, because, (laughs) I mean, I want to believe that, but it, 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 only because I I have the exact opposite perspective yeah. where it's like as a songwriter I mean I'm, most of the people I follow are songwriters or they're musicians and Makes sense. thinking like okay well we're gonna fit in these forty slots and and some of my friends are in this slot or that slot and It's like man I can get in there but they're they're busy this these songs just don't drop off all the time
1: yeah
0: I would say in a way that the Broadway world which is that part's really small because there's only you know 36 theaters or something like that. Yeah, I'm, very funny. You know? mm-hmm. So, I guess those are really similar, but acting as a whole, there's so many movies and TV shows and so many things going on. It seems like and most of my friends are actors, so I, and I hear them being competitive. I just don't understand it. Why why I mean, there? if I had a
1: just a choice, I don't think I would be. I just feel like it's it's hard to avoid that when you're with this audition culture of like going in and Putting yourself out there and interpreting a role and like putting yourself in it, and then seeing other people do the same thing and have it not work out. Like, it just feels like a, it's gonna foster competition no matter what your intentions are. Cause, Probably. like, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, I'm I, things have been going really well. So, I'm very happy that like what's happened has happened and that other people that are my contemporaries have also had opportunities, but also you know when there's you get to a certain point particularly in film you just keep seeing the same folks at everything so it's hard not to feel like you're being pitted against each other
0: how do you feel about having you know you have this this show that's coming out on Netflix mm-hmm. what's it like to have i've i you finished shooting it yeah mm. so what's it like finishing that project knowing that it's coming out which is which is different than when you you know you finish rehearsals for a show you have to go and perform it every night for however long yeah in this case, you're done with your work at yeah. least for this season. Mm-hmm. Do you have expectations for something like this? Is it similar to, let's say, your album coming out, which is also something finished before it comes out?
1: It definitely feels similar. I, I would, I think that the album coming out felt like a little scarier and more vulnerable of a of an event, just because it. I hadn't really no safety net as far as other people who were going to take responsibility for it. I mean, I had a really talented group of co-writers, but at the end of the day, it's my thoughts and words and my face and voice and all of that. And it was a very new kind of lane. Um, So with this thing, it's been weird to sit on it and wait for it to come out with the politician because... There's a lot of different scenarios of how it might shift and alter things once it's out. I mean, there's so much content right now, particularly on Netflix, so it could be, you know, one among many, or it could be this thing that changes the game, or it could be. It's just hard to know until it's in the world. But I think because I'm playing a character in it again, even though I, I I'm leading the show and I'm an EP on the show, it still feels like there's at least one step of removal, like as opposed to my own music, because. If you know, I am pretty sure people will dig it, hopefully. But worst case if people it's not their cup of tea, then it's not necessarily me, Ben Platt, that's not their cup of tea. It's this piece, um, which is a lot easier to sort of fathom than it is to have someone listening to music and be just like, I don't you your inner monologue sounds like shit to me. You know, what Yeah. I mean? <laughs> we talk about that a lot. I mean, it's you know, and I'm I we're
0: I'm releasing an album in a week and I you know, and but what's weird is that You know, people say Bellion said John Bellion said this in his interview. It's like uh, you know, people don't say um, I don't like this song. They say I don't like John Bellion. Exactly. And you're like, what? Like, yo, bro, you know, slow up. It's maybe your your whole your you know your motive as an artist is not to necessarily be judged. It's just to entertain people. I would assume. Yes. Is that your motive as an entertainer?
1: yeah and also to hopefully help people process experiences that they haven't processed or feel like seen in experiences that they've had that they feel like no one's really mirrored f- for them um that's an ideal goal, I think
0: do but- you think having you know Dear Van Hansen as a show it's It's probably the first show I'd ever seen where you'd have a couple thousand people all crying unanimously mm. and and at, just at the same time it's the clockwork, yeah. Do you think having played that character and having been in that environment that you then feel the need to write lyrics that have that same gravitas?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I think I, I I didn't want to make an album full of like songs to just make people sob and like that would be the main goal. I mean, I but I did think because Evan Hansen was such a visceral, vulnerable, like exposing experience in that way and such an emotionally raw thing Night after night, it was a very desensitizing thing to go through for two years, and so I think the idea of creating original music felt like such a good next move, mostly because the sort of the only piece of skin that I hadn't sort of shed was the character of everything, and the only way that I felt like I could find an experience that would be anywhere near as emotionally fulfilling musically would be if it was completely my own rather than myself through the through the lens of this other kid that isn't me. Um, so hopefully, there's like a similar feeling of raw authenticity, but I don't necessarily think that the whole thing should make you clamped Right.
0: How do you do all of it? I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm a busy person and I do a lot of things, but I feel like I carve out some time as a human to be a human. Yes. At least I keep trying to remind myself, but from an outsider's point of view, it doesn't seem like there's any time for you to do that. Do you have any social life? Do you have any personal life?
1: I do. I, I Definitely a social life. I try my hardest to corner the moments that I have and really immerse myself in them. Like I just had, I just literally ending yesterday had two weeks of really having nothing, and there was a couple of opportunities within sprinkled in there that we could have added in that might have been helpful in, in like the music sphere or like a couple of pieces of press that I just really tried to resist because I knew that this was the only two weeks that I had to really just like kind of disengage from it, and I just feel like. There, if if I learned anything from the Evan Hansen experience, it's that it's important to put self care at the top of the list, particularly when you're trying to do something that's, you know, a little bit like soul involved. So I what, think. What
0: about Evan Hansen taught you that?
1: I think just doing that eight times a week and having no extended break from it was just like a really emotionally draining experience and just like really I had to kind of turn my other parts of life completely off like no social life at all, no personal life no dating, I didn't see my family much like really was a solitary experience but I mean a wonderful solitary experience Um, and so I think I knew going forward I wanted to, even though things are now starting to pile up, really try my best to find the pockets and I thankfully have a really nice very tight group of Buddies who I made it here at Harbor Westlake in high school, who we've all stayed very close, and they're all working too in in New York. Mostly actors, a couple singers, and directors. And so I try to see them as much as I can. The the dating is there's not there's not always a lot of time, unfortunately, but I try I try my best. Sometimes, Um, how do you do a show twice
0: in a day? period let alone <laughs> one that where you have to be that vulnerable how do you reset what do you do in that 3 hours in, in between i yeah.
1: would have a physical therapy session so i'd have someone come to my dressing room uh, her name is Natalie Kinghorn she's a really talented physical therapist and she would do like cupping and like needling and acupuncture and stuff and kind of reset my body and i would nap and then i would eat like very curated foods like lean proteins and veggies and rice and stuff like that and then do it again.
0: Wow, that's really interesting that it's a physical that you do something physical to 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 reset. reset totally, because mentally,
1: emotionally, it's it's just really a willpower kind of thing. So to kind of trick yourself into feeling like you've physically reset is, I mean, and also to literally physically reset is a really helpful like f- clean slate.
0: So you, I didn't realize that you were an EP on this show. I know I'm like all over the place, but I'm just <laughs> asking know, questions that are just going in my head. And yeah. why not? Come on. You know, this is how we're going to become friends. Yeah, I'm going to learn everything about you. Very shortly. Um, so wait, so you're an, e- you, you're an EP on a show.
1: On The Politician, yeah.
0: And uh, my assumption is that, so your dad as a producer has done a lot of theater, television, film. By jumping into this executive producer role, mm-hmm. does that put you on a path of doing a, like a, a similar arc with your dad? Or is it sort of like, that's fun, I just want to do this also? And what's what's the desire in getting into production at this point?
1: I think I definitely plan to remain primarily an artist and performer. I think producing is always something that's been interesting to me as a way of having some sort of creative ownership over a project. I think for this particular instance, the reason it felt right was... I had just come off of Evan Hansen, where I wasn't, you know, for all intents and purposes, a producer, but I was involved from the very first reading, so I felt a real ownership over the piece and understanding of the process, and I felt like my voice was really heard creatively. And ha- um, I didn't want to go into something where I felt like I had lost all of that ability and lost my voice in that conversation completely. And so when Ryan pitched me the show, and obviously on on a very you know superficial level, I was just like, "This is an amazing role and an amazing guy," so of course I want to do it. But then he also. Right from the get-go, said he would love for me to executive produce with him, which felt to me like a way to ensure that I could feel like I, it was mine, at least partially, as opposed to feeling like a cog. Because like sometimes with film, I find that the difficult part of that experience is like giving what you can during your performance, and then having it be completely curated for you after, after the fact, and like edited for you, and you feel like sort of you have no control over it. Which is some actors really love that aspect of it, but I always, I'm a very type A kind of controlling. Fellow, so I, I like to <laughs> feel that I have at least some hand in the mix. But that said, Ryan and Brad and Ian are complete pros and they don't necessarily need a, a whole ton of input from me, but it was just nice to be, feel like I had a seat at the, at the table.
0: Songwriters, you could be the grand prize winner and score up to $5,000 in cash, one of 12 Martin Guitars, as well as a mentoring session with El King, Joe London, or myself. The Lyric winner will win an opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Enter the 20th Annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitar Strings and CMT now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. NSAI, the National Songwriters Association, International is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. Today's podcast is brought to you by the musician website platform, Banzoogle. For regular listeners, the And the writer is, you already know you can use Banzoogle to design a website, EPK, you know, sell your music, merch, commission-free from your website, use the tour calendar to promote your shows, collect emails from fans, send professional newsletters, yada, yada, yada. But Banzoogle just did some new things since season four. Um, they added... Um, Fan subscriptions. So now your fans can pay a monthly fee in exchange for exclusive rewards and access to your music, giving you recurring revenue for your career. I mean, think about it. You're basically like the Taylor Swift of do-it-yourself musicians. You can now easily add any kind of content to your subscriber pages, including a blog feed, music videos, photo galleries, and more. When you want to send an update, you can simply send a messenger to subscribers using a built-in mailing list tool. Um, and like all of the Bandzoogle sales, you know, tools, the subscriptions, uh, all these things are commission-free. So all payments from your fans go directly into your account. So go to Banzoogle.com and try it free for thirty days and use the promo code ATWI to get fifteen percent off the first year of any subscription. That's Bandzoogle.com promo code ATWI to build your website for your music. Did you learn about that collaboration growing up with your family in the entertainment business or did you learn about the collaboration having been a performer in these
1: shows? Both. I mean, I learned a lot more about the film side of things from my dad because that's his his primary world. He's done some some theater and TV as well, but the film is sort of his most consistent arena, and so I learned about kind of the inner workings of that through him, but then Theater, I think I very much from the ground up learned on my own, and just experiencing what different dynamics at different rehearsal rooms were like and what it was like to do a pre-existing show, what it was like to do right. you know, a tour of a new show, what it was like to do a show from the ground up. Like, They're all very different experiences. Yeah.
0: One of the things Pete asked was, um, what is your ideal collaborator like?
1: Well, well in, the, in the context of songwriting, I feel like there has to be some kind of stylistic baseline. Like, I, Obviously we can come from very different Places and have different preferences, but I think if there's nowhere to meet up as, uh, on like a musical, sonic level of like things we both feel good listening to and singing, and then it's difficult to have a jumping off point. And then I also think just someone that I feel, you know, open enough with to yeah. express real things and be as transparent as possible and not be around the bush, because I feel like the difference between like a, a song that's really good and a song that's like fantastic is saying a lot of. Really, potentially damaging things. <laughs> so I think it has to be a person where you feel open, saying the really horrible ideas, and then within them finding the really great one.
0: The the theater world and the film world seems so organized, and the songwriting world, once you're in that room, it's it's like massively disorganized
1: by almost by design. Yeah, it's you know, it's there's no paint by numbers for it. It's like.
0: But you don't have any time to make I feel like you don't have do you have any time to make those mistakes? You know, if you're if you're
1: meeting at like one and then you have to have a song in the next like
0: six hours. Then, yeah. yeah, and <laughs> I mean and, and if you have two weeks to write, yeah, you need to get, you know, the the goal is to get like all ten songs done in those two weeks. I mean yeah. do you are you able to take risks in that environment for you?
1: I try to. I mean, I think that's more what i mean and this like kind of speed dating thing of like meeting your collaborators and then immediately starting to work with them is like it's easy to tell right away if it's someone who you're going to feel comfortable like yeah, shooting right. and missing with or sure. if it's going to be someone who you're going to feel like too reserved to really contribute until you have something that you feel like 100% behind which obviously eventually it'd be great to feel 100% behind all the pieces of the song but to get there i feel like you have to be unafraid to throw out the absurd yeah, stuff totally um, and i feel like i can tell within the first like hour of hanging out with someone if that's that comfortability is going to be possible yeah. i mean, And largely just by virtue of the type of people that want to make this art and like want to create music together, it generally tends to be pretty open hearted or at least like well intentioned people. So it's, I've never had really much of an issue.
0: You know, you're, because you have, you somehow have like one foot in 10 places, (laughs) it's just a lot of feet. But I'm trying to figure out when you have, you know, you do this Hamill drop stuff, which obviously that, that became pretty successful. That was fun. You know, both you and Lynn are. If if you know what Sarah Bareilles did by going from pop to musical theater, and you know, The Wrong Man going to musical theater in New York, or you and Lynn going into the pop world. Yes, but it's all the same thing. Why is our generation? um, Why are we doing that? Why why were they doing it in previous generations? I mean, I know there was, you know, Barbara Streisand was really successful. I know some of these people were what is it about our generation in particular that's opening their mind to each other's art form?
1: I think it's, you know, in, in originally like in the golden age like in the 60s and stuff, like the the radio hits were the songs from the shows and it was they were one and the same. And I feel like it was largely because the type of popular music people wanted to listen to, like at home and on the radio and stuff, was stylistically the same as the music in the theaters. And then for a long chunk of time, there was this like belief that there's no, there was no connection between those two things, and that like p- songs that young people or anyone want to listen to, like in the, in their own lives, doesn't sound like the kind of songs that tell stories in musicals. And I think in the in the recent years of things like you know Spring Awakening and Next to Normal, and then obviously most sort of forcibly Hamilton there's an an ability to sing music on stage that feels adjacent to the music young people are listening to anyway and feels like kind of a gateway and sort of gets rid of that stigma that like anything that's emotionally involved or that's narrative or that's character driven or that's verbose or that's like full song is like nerdy or that it's like not can't be pop structured or can't be like palatable And I'm really I'm all for that mix and mingle. Totally,
0: I mean, it takes artists like you to feel confident in releasing. You know, it's what it's what Adele does. You know, it's what Sam Smith does, where they're willing to belt. Yes, yeah. For lack of a better word, they're just willing to go all the way there. And in an era where people are listening to music on headphones, where the speaker is literally next to their eardrum, Mm -hmm. um, you really have to. Tactfully record that. You experience. have to temper it. Otherwise, it sounds like, you know, because <sighs> you're, lit- yeah, yeah, you're communicating literally, you know. I, whenever I'm vocal producing people, I keep reminding them the microphone is the ear mm. of the human is listening. So if you're going to belt, you know, it's our job as producers as writers to create an environment where that's not yelling at some
1: 100% and also emotionally is earned. I feel like because I came from theater, I always songwriting to me is always like when you can't speak anymore, now you have to sing about it. Like that's huh. sort of the way I go into writing anything. So I feel like by virtue of that kind of checklist it, it makes it an easier arena in which to like full voice sing.
0: Did you study this stuff in school? Did you go to school? Did you go to college?
1: Not really. I went to Columbia for like seven weeks, Uh uh, and then, well, I deferred initially for a year to do Pitch Perfect, and then I went in the following fall, and I lasted till like mid October, and then I got Book of Mormon, so I left, and then I I never went back.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It was fun having gone from Pitch Perfect, Book of Mormon, Dear Evan Hansen. Do you have an expectation from projects that they're all gonna be that successful?
1: You know, there's a pressure, I think, more than an expectation. I try from, to be as, from who? as realistic as possible, just like on myself yeah. from like, you know, wanting to be part of things that are well received and but I think that the the sort of way that things are received and the way that I consider them to be a success is sort of changing as I get older. Uh, like yeah, I don't necessarily right. think I mean Evan was a really rare occasion where it's like critically and, and sort of from people that I really respected, like they really loved it as a piece, as a piece of work, and also it happened to a, a appeal to a big commercial group of people. But I think as I, I move forward and like have the luxury of choosing things based on just creatively, if I respond to them, it's more to me about like how you know people who I really respect and of artists who I really respect, how what they feel about it, and can they see themselves in it, and do they connect to it, and sure. and then if if it happens to connect to like a huge group of people too, then that's a great. Plus, but I think it's not necessarily like the goal. I mean, I'm also not a commercial producer, so I, I get the luxury of having that not be the goal. Um, but I think more times than not, when something is so qualitative, it's hard not to find a great audience for it. Sure. So I'm hoping that will, trend will continue.
0: How do you get the Oscar part of the ego?
1: I'm in like the least rush ever, because I just feel like once that's done, like, get, like game over. Like, do you <laughs> know
0: where you try to get it twice or something?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They won for Coco too, yeah?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, they won. And then yeah. also Frozen. Right.
1: Awesome. I mean, I, you know, as in someone who's been acting since I was a kid, of course, my ultimate dream is to win as an actor, but any kind of Oscar, or anything is a wonderful cherry.
0: And they say that you have to do music in order to get an EGOT, you know? But that's the, I mean, that's sort of, well, and then there's the PGOT. Which is the Pulitzer? Oh wow! I mean,
1: who has a P got? Does I bet? Lynn I has think there's a PGOT. like
0: two. There's like two people who have a P got. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I mean, it's 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 like Kendrick's closer to getting a P got than most people. Like there's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's I don't know. I'm not not that it's all about the. No, of course no.
1: But, you know. The letters are fun to talk about. Why,
0: um, <laughs> why, um, why don't you write musicals? Why, why write an album and not write a musical? Well,
1: two two parts of that answer. Firstly, I think. In order to write a musical, I really wanted to learn how to write music. Period first, and I uh, yeah. also really wanted to figure out what, what what my own sort of organic sound was. I separate from musical theater, not you know forcibly like pulled away from musical theater, but not in just the you know overarching umbrella of musical theater. And I found that it's obviously there's little sprinklings of of influence from it, but it's very much not that. Um, I definitely do want to write a musical at some point for sure I think in my life that would be something I would regret never trying to do. Sure. But it's it's just like the hardest thing I mean as you know it's like the hardest thing ever. So I feel like unless it's the perfect idea I don't I'm not in any rush to make that happen but I think once that idea presents itself then I'm very game and I have to find the right collaborators and sort of decide do I want to write all aspects of it or just the music and lyrics or just the lyrics or just the book or things like that. right? But definitely on the bucket list.
0: You're starting to write the next album, right? A little bit, yeah. Do you feel like musically you have to go somewhere you haven't been before? Or do you feel like lyrically you have to go somewhere you haven't been before? What's the point of doing the next album?
1: It's definitely something I'm still figuring out and like grappling with because this is my first time trying to follow something up like this. I think I'm trying to Relieve myself of the pressure to like now it needs to be just like a techno record, like it has to, like you know what I mean? like <laughs> we just have to such, like take a left turn and go yeah. to country, but like <laughs> I also want to challenge myself not to restate the same things over and over again, so I think just by virtue of like who I am and the experiences that I've had, there will always be the same you know umbrella of romantic experiences and my family and friends and things that actually mean something to me, but I think it's about finding ways to state those experiences that haven't been said before, and also. Sound stretching myself sort of sonically into things that feel because I think I was very married to, you know, as organic and as live in the room as possible for the first time around because I you know my favorites are Adele and Carol and James and like that and and I think it's about being unafraid of edging towards bigger scarier things but also not forsaking like the kind of baseline of that so we'll see how far on that scale I feel comfortable going.
0: It's interesting when you know Dear Evan Hansen was obviously very successful, and so few uh, Broadway actors succeed in performing their own music, but all of them
1: try. <laughs> it's a very popular course.
0: What? Why is it working for you? And what? It, what's advice you could give them that would help them pursue their music outside of performing other people's?
1: Well, as far as why it's working for me, it's it's anyone's guess. I mean, I think it's a, it's a real kind of amalgam of circumstance and also just my ability. I mean, I think because Evan Hansen was stylistically not so far from pop and it wasn't right. this like big legit Phantom of the Opera, it wasn't such a huge leap to try to have people then want to listen to my own pop music. Um, and I think the other reason it's working is because I'm, like I said, trying to be as completely transparent as possible, whether that means, you know, being open about sexuality, or talking about my parents, or talking about, you know, heartbreak and all that kind of stuff. I feel like I've been as completely, sort of, filterless as as I possibly can be, which I think is something that can't be found in work that I do in the theater or, or soundtracks that I'm on in for, in musicals. So I feel like that's part of the reason people are interested in it separately from that. But that's the advice. That's the advice I give people that I meet.
0: You know, and I know there's some that like Anthony Ramos's album is really cool. Awesome. And there are some of these guys who are who are who do it really well. But the thing that's unanimous around them is that they tend to write songs that, that they would wanna sing and they would wanna hear and not songs that their audience necessarily wants to hear. Right. And that that's u- unique in your case because
1: I think it's sort of I think a lot out. of
0: like it actually fits your Personality, it feels like. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, but hopefully, that is, so many people try to write the music that they just are, got famous for performing. Yeah, and I mean, that, I, and, but that's not. Then, then they're just doing watered down versions of the songs. That
1: that's why I was very averse to. I mean, not just you know using Ben and Justin songs, but also not singing Me Through Window" on this concert tour, and not yeah. like making it the Dear Irvin Hansen continued story. I definitely wanted to be a different piece, its own piece, and very much. My piece, and I think people can smell that—at least that desire for authenticity, if not the authenticity itself. So I think that's part of what's helped to go up.
0: How do your parents feel about you writing songs about your family?
1: Really good so far. I mean, I've I've only ever written very loving things because that's how I ever really feel about the two of them. Um, So I think obviously, like, apprehensive about me sharing my vulnerabilities at all, less so than specifically about them, but very supportive and i think it means a lot to them hopefully
0: how do you feel about being vulnerable about your sexuality in your music is it i imagine that it's exceptionally empowering very as is any artist who actually you know is able to say what they're you know put out their authenticity what is it like to be able to do that and i mean amazing to be part of this era where that's it's celebrated and it's asked for like people want you to do that right? I mean I'm kind of putting words in your mouth
1: but no, no it, it's true I mean I think going into it I never really made like a conscious decision like this is I'm going to use this album to like come out of the closet and I'm going to like use this to be like Ben is queer and here and like get used to it because I've been out since I was like 12 I tr- truly told all my parents everyone in my life when I was a kid and Anyone I've ever worked with or met or had any meaningful relationship with longer than like ten minutes I've been very open with about it, and it's never been something I've actively kept hidden just because it's never been relevant to the work that I've been doing when I'm playing other people and, and doing other people's um, stories um, but I think once I made the decision to like be transparent at all and try to be authentic and not sort of go in and edit for any reason to generalize or to make things palatable in any sense, then it seemed. Like, very absurd to then go in and change pronouns or like go and f- fix an experience or change it to something that was, you know, heteronormative or something like that, just because why would I go change any part of the experience? And so, because it was so part of that larger umbrella decision, I think when I released it, I wasn't thinking so much about like, oh, what's this going to be like now that I'm discussing this for the first time. I wasn't thinking about it as like, today I come out when I like press send on this video. It was just more like, here's my story in general. And so, I think to see. How affected people still are by representation and how much it still means to them was like such a surprising, like joyful byproduct of it all. Like something that I didn't expect to be such a rewarding part of it is like having queer couples come to the concert and say that like they don't feel there's been an album that's represented them this way or that they feel like it's something that they've been through in every way. And I'm hoping that we're that I'm perpetuating this kind of like step three, like point C reality where it's like. Part of the tapestry and it's part of the assumed reality, but it is not like the event of the piece or of the music, and it doesn't exclude people that don't have that experience. It's the same as like Brittany asking someone to like hit her one more time. It's like all the same.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it puts you in a in an interesting place of being the the advocate and the voice of a of a community. You know, one of the things that I think Sam Smith does really well is, you know, I don't think I maybe it's our generation, but It feels like there's sort of a handful of, of artists where you know whether it's Janelle Monae or it's you know whatever it is that you feel, I feel like as a listener, there's this just feels like an era where it's accepted to be who you are and it's you know yes, what one of um one of our friends Ricky Reed he said, um, he said the currency. For social media is is honesty. It's true, you know. And the more honest, you know, you put the more you put yourself out there, the more vu- vulnerability that you put out there, the the more people are going to actually listen to the rest of your lyrics. Here's the next segment. We're going to do five for five. Five for five. So I'm going to list something, and then you're going to just say a name, and you can tell me off the top of your head. Okay. Something. Let's start with Patrick and Paul. You could you could do. Uh, Justin or Ben separately, but we'll go with Pascal and Paul as number one of your
1: five for five. Justin has two really cute babies now that are really cute. Um, and yeah. it's cool to see him be a father because when I met him he was like a scrappy songwriter. Yeah.
0: He's he's here right now. He's in L Justin? Yeah. I can yeah. find him. Yeah. He's, he's nice. not like literally in this building. <laughs> That'd be amazing. And here he is. And here, right, exactly. All this. Uh Lynn Manuel.
1: Um, when we were doing the March for Our Lives thing, we had like three extra hours on the day when we were in DC waiting to go sing at the march and we were like sitting around a piano with Lackamore and Lynn and Lynn was like, Can we just sing like a bunch of Broadway songs while I have Ben here? So we did like Rent and Alpha Bungalinda and Wicked and like Sideshow, we were like the conjoined twins and I just got to sing through like all of my dream bucket lists with Lynn for like an hour. That was probably my favorite experience with him.
0: That is a good experience. Adam Marcel, your manager.
1: a, a light in the darkness. <laughs> He you know I I was clueless going into this I know nothing about this business I really I, I know what kind of music I liked and I know what I wanted creatively and beyond that I didn't know anything about how to make that happen or who to meet and how to how to make that vision a reality and so it's he's just helped me do that every step of the way and kept it very much in the integrity very much at the forefront
0: when you say and I you know I will go back to my list but when you say that you know you know I didn't know the kind of music that I, you know, I liked or that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. How would you define you in the next album that you haven't even started? Like, what? what and two, the second one?
1: Yeah. Oh, I have no clue. I mean, hopefully more of the same, like focus on the music and the singing and the instrumentation rather than like the palatability. Um, but other than that, it's who knows.
0: Let's go with Pete Gambarg and the Atlantic Records team.
1: The first thing that comes to mind is that they took me when they wanted to like properly discuss making an album to dinner at this place. I don't even remember the name of it, but it was like in a basement that was like a stone basement in New York. That was like this little Italian food dive, and I was like, Am I have I been taken here to be like? Is there like is there a hit out on me? Yeah. And and then like the most delicious food of all time just kept coming out with no one asking for it. I was like, Oh, this is a big deal. Yeah, and that's when I realized like shit was real.
0: Yeah, that they weren't gonna kill you, <laughs> That
1: they weren't gonna and kill you, that you were gonna also made me. That they also maybe want to make some music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As soon as I saw that Bolognese, I knew that an album was coming.
0: <laughs> the, the, the new Ben Platt album. Bolognese. Bolognese. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That's a good direction. Some little, little Italian influence.
0: Yeah, that's basically what I've been trying to get at is like, when are we writing an Italian
1: focused song? I've been listening to Light in the Piazza all week, so I'm, I'm very Other much in that mindset.
0: My on, the only relative I have in the music industry as a whole. It was the music director
1: of a piazza. Yeah, who's the music director?
0: Um, I'm gonna go and find out. And my like, my mom's gonna hit me up after this and be like, Oh my god, how did you not know? Ted Sperling.
1: Ted Sperling, He's excellent.
0: He's my my um, like second cousin once removed or something. There's always there's
1: always, you're a Jew right?
0: Yeah. See, this oh it's all Jewish. Geography. I mean we're probably related. somehow. Yeah somehow. Yeah. Probably three we or did, four steps. We did like the uh, 23 me.
1: Thing? I'm too afraid because I don't want the government to like know who I am.
0: I'm gonna show you my <laughs> mine. Literally said 100% Ashkenazi. No, it didn't. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 100%. You didn't even get like a 0. 0.3 Native no, American. No, and, and it's like a, it's actually like shockingly. It's it's pretty fu- it's pretty funny. Let me see. Yeah, I will show you. Um,
1: um, wow, 100% it's as Jewish as they come.
0: Let's go with your father,
1: Mark Platt. That's a, I mean, that's that's 25 years of memories. um we used to do buddies weekends, which were these things. He would take each of us on, on like one on one weekend trips when we were growing up. And like my older brother was pal, my sister was princess, I was buddy. My other sister was like Rose. And so for ours, it was always some theater related event because that's what I love to do. So we would go to like Costa Mesa or like San Diego or wherever like Beauty and the Beast was on tour and like go see Beauty and the Beast and then like, yeah. go see the at movie. Amazing. Um, my... And
0: here you are. Here one of the things that I've been discussing with Mosella, who's been on this podcast as well, um, she would say how the, this is, we're done with that segment, by the way. Good job. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Mosella was talking about how the sexism in the music industry isn't as overt as people think it is. And one of the, the things that, that she points out is that all these amazing female writers, but there are so few that get to be an executive producer. And you are one of the people who had an executive producer that was female. And, I did indeed. Um, so, from your perspective, sure. I want to hear your experience with Jen
1: DeSilvio. It was a really organic thing. I think and I. Hi, I, Jen. She's awesome. Hi, Jen. Okay. What's up, Jen? Ahead. Yeah. I think she's in the UK, maybe not anymore. Um, I, uh, you know, I I went in like knowing these like three names that I'd like heard because of like Adele or like just like you know producers that you like hear enough about as like a layman to know about them, but I had absolutely no clue what it really entailed and also what I would really want. So I went in very much open minded and just very randomly in one of the sessions, one of the writer sessions, I got paired with Jen to write, and she and I and this great writer Jordan Riley wrote this song called "Honest Man" that ended up on the record. Um, And she did just the sort of bounce of the day where we laid it down and sent it in and I really loved it. I was like, this is very beautiful. This is exactly what I was thinking. It's like very, just like raw parts and there's not a lot of frill and it's just, this is really what I'm, you know, was hoping for. would you want to try like a couple more? So I would send her like one or two songs at a time, and each of them was just really fantastic. And I was like, "You seem to really understand the vibe of this, and we really get each other. So why not do the whole? I mean, save for like two songs that were produced by the people who wrote them, she did essentially the whole record. So it just felt like a really natural way to collaborate. I mean, it helps that we're, also that we're both queer. I think we connected over that as well. But as far as like her being a woman, it, it never really. Factored into it for me and not in a positive or negative way. It was just sort of like she understood the music the best. She was a collaborator I really liked and she did a beautiful job. And that's, that's that.
0: You had like a lot of the, your collaborators were ones that you used multiple times throughout the album, whether yes. it's Michael Pollack and Nate Seifert, Ben Abraham, you know, people that you wrote really well with. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of by design that you just wrote really well with them or was that, is that a structured thing? I mean, how did, did that work?
1: It was pretty organic because Atlantic set me up in a very uh, like impartial first camp where it was lots of rooms with lots of people, and I think it just became clear to me immediately, not only like on an interpersonal level who I loved spending time with, but also who we really connected with musically. And like in that first week alone, we got like "Bad Habit," "Older," and "Temporary Love," which was like three of the main songs on the record. And those were, you know, a lot of Ben Abraham, a lot of Nate Seifert, a lot of Michael Pollack, and I think it was just became clear that we all really. We're on the same wavelength, um, and so it seemed dumb not to continue to write with them. Older is a crazy
0: song. I played that for a few people behind your back before I knew <laughs> who you were. Um, glad really um So you know, first of all, thank you for doing this. Okay, thanks for having last, me. kind of last of all, because we're finishing. But you know, I mean, this, this is kind of cool because I don't meet that many people in Los Angeles that understand the journey and the path that that I've been on. In New York, and um, it's a different feeling. It is, and to watch people straddle the line between, you know, the theater world, the pop world, the you know, the film, TV world, all these things, and to do it so well, I mean, you obviously have a really high bar of what is what is good. And and that's one of the things that you can't teach. We have all these. So many writers ask, you know, what it, why the music industry doesn't pay songwriters well, or why they don't pay actors well, and you know, and the the short of it is often that maybe the music they're writing and maybe their abilities aren't really up to par. And when you see somebody who's able to do so many parts of the music and film entertainment industry so well. It's so rare to watch that and to have you do it with where I mean, obviously, you have a lot of friends because the minute that I text these people to say, Hey, you want to ask a question? They all said, They all just came back. But that I can't think of a better compliment because now that I've gone through doing, we've done 70 something episodes or something like that. You know, there just aren't that many people who Get that kind of love from so many different people, from so many different genres. And it's obviously something that you've earned. So, uh, congratulations on everything. Thanks, man. And I'm I'm happy that we're friends now.
1: Me too. What a beautiful thing to say. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,